Now we want to come to the Lord in prayer for a group in specific. Uh, this week, school starts again. Uh, Janine and I are very excited about this news. <laughs> our children are less excited. But there's a whole host of people, many of whom come to our church, who are, this week are ramping up for a year's worth of really hard work. Uh, and so I want to recognize those of you that work in the school system or uh, at home school teachers uh, and all the incredible work that you do. It's so valuable, not only to us as people, but to the kingdom of God. Uh, and so I'm going to ask for, if you're, in the te- if you're a teacher, if you work in the school system, if you're a homeschool teacher, would you do me a favor? Would you stand up for me? Uh, I know that this is never a thrilling moment in church, but we want to recognize you and be thankful for you. Um, You, you really do mean a great deal to us. And I say this as a parent, as a pastor, we are so thankful for your gifts, your talents, your passions, and your hard work. So I, as a church family, I just want to pray a blessing over our teachers today. So would you pray along with me as we pray this for those who work for us? Father, you tell us in the book of Proverbs, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And so Father, as we prepare for a new school year, Lord, we bring the plans and the work and the efforts and the gifts of our teachers before you. We thank you this day for the gift of teachers who guide, care for, and encourage our children. And Father, we pray for your peace and covering for this year ahead. We thank you in advance for all that you have in store and ask that you would unfold great blessings and gifts in the coming days. Father, that this would be remembered as a year that God gave greatly. God, we ask for your wisdom and your grace for each teacher as they prepare to lead their class each day. Equip them for every good work that you have prepared ahead of time, and we ask that your strength would fill them, that you would enable them to do all that they do with a heart of compassion and grace that comes straight from you. Father, give them the ability and effectiveness that they need as they teach. Fill them with creativity and passion, and in the moments when they feel like there is just not enough time to do all they need to do, God, we pray that you would multiply their hours and give success to their efforts, for we know that you are able to do much more with a day than we ever could. Surround their families and their personal lives in your care and your protection, providing abundantly for every need that they have. Help them to release every concern and anxiety into your hand. Father, we pray that you would remind them that they are a part of building greatness in our world through the next generation. And that more than representing a job or a school or a district, they represent you. And because of this, your spirit and your covering are brought into every school and every class and every child's life. We pray that you would give them a spirit of discernment for every child in their class, that they would have the heart to understand each one of them more deeply and see them as you see them. We pray that you would give them a great ability to understand every parent represented too, reminding that you have destined every one of those paths to cross. And Father, you have great purpose in every relationship that you bring into our lives. And Father, we ask that you would instill in all of us, teachers and parents, a heart of learning and humility this year. Because Father, you are always the great teacher. We pray that you would give us all fresh perspective to see life through the eyes of a child. For you said that theirs is the kingdom of God. We pray that we would not allow the years that we have lived to blur our sight and make things unclear. 
And now, Father, we ask that you would bless these teachers and keep them, that you would make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them, that you would lift your countenance upon them and give them peace. For you are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the great power at work within us. To your name be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's continue to worship. Hey, Chapel Street Church. I'm excited to talk to you about something called Rooted. Some of you already know about Rooted. It's been part of our church for a number of years now. Uh, several years ago, we were thinking and praying about, if you ask the average person who's part of Chapel Street what's next in their spiritual journey, we had a thousand different answers. And we felt like we needed one clear next step. And that's what Rooted has become. It's a 10-week journey through the gospel and scripture built around experiences. That's what makes it unique. It's not just study and filling in the blank answers. It's built around experiences through 10 weeks in community. There's a serve experience. There's a prayer experience. And these things combined in community help change people's lives. I've talked to many of you who have been deeply impacted by Rooted. Uh, some of you who are mature believers might be thinking, well, this is I've already passed this. Not so. It's for you. If you're a brand new believer, it's for you. If you call Chapel Street your home and you're looking for the next step in your life with Christ in our community of faith, Rooted is exactly for you. We encourage you to take part in it. There's a new round of Rooted groups launching very soon. So I want to encourage you, if you call Chapel Street your home and you're feeling like God is moving you to take a next step in your faith in the new year, get involved in a Rooted group. Don't take my word for it. We want you to hear from those who've been part of it. I came into Rooted having just graduated from Wheaton College a few months before. And while I was at Wheaton, I was surrounded by great community. I was in a great place spiritually and relationally and was honestly thriving. And then I graduated and in a lot of ways, it felt like that community got taken away. So then I joined a sub 30 Rooted group, which was, <laughs> one of the best choices I think I've ever made. Just getting to know a group of people who were the same age and stage as me and just being able to open the Bible together and talk about these foundations of our faith together was such a cool experience. There's the prayer service, there's serving, there's strongholds, there's um, where a week where you talk about giving and that's very important. You you bring God into every facet of your life. I think the biggest takeaway for me was I thought I was okay, just me. And I'd go to church on every Sunday and I pray and I do my devotions and and I felt like I was I was still okay. I was walking. But now knowing that there are other people that I'm that are holding me accountable, that I'm holding them accountable, that I can go to them and ask for prayer, that has has really increased I guess my desire to be more like Jesus. If you are even thinking about Rooted, I would encourage you to go for it. I know that there might be some unknowns about the people in your group or about the things you're gonna be studying. You don't need to come into it knowing all the answers. In fact, I think a lot of the conversations that you have will be more fruitful if you're able to be in that space of not knowing all the answers because that's when you're able to have really rich conversations with other people as you wrestle through things. That's part of the beauty of this community that you're building. So if you're on the fence, go for it. It'll change your life in the best way. <laughs> just want to take a moment and echo what uh, Pastor Jeff said. Rooted is a great way to uh, grow personally in your spiritual journey, but also to connect in a deeper way uh, with your church family. 
Uh, great to be with you here again at uh, Chapel Street North Aurora. I always enjoy uh, being uh, experiencing your worship and uh, the warmth of the community you're building here. So great to be with you again today. Well, when I was in the second grade at Lawndale Elementary School in Akron, Ohio, and this is uh, what that old building looked like. No longer exists, but a three-story old brick building, you know, with the wooden desk bolted to the floor in rows. Some of you may have gone to a school like that. Uh, but in second grade, I heard a new word on the playground. Uh, we were at recess. Remember recess? Those of you still young enough to be going to school and having recess, enjoy it because they take it away from you <laughs> at some point. We're at recess, you know, playing on the swings or monkey bars or something, and a boy from a different class um, said a word that I didn't know. I didn't know what it meant. Uh, I'd never heard it before, uh, but I discerned it must be a very important word because I could see it had power. Uh, as soon as he said the word, uh, all the other kids paid attention, and some of them laughed, and uh, it, the boy seemed to gain status uh, on the playground just by using this word. So um, I used to walk home from school in those days, even at second grade. The world was different then. And uh, I was anxious to use my new word once I got home. So I got home to our little row house in Akron. Houses stacked up right next to each other, right across the street. And I ran up to my second floor room and I opened the window and I shouted my new word out to the street as loud as I could. You may be a bit ahead of me, but it was a word that rhymed with spit. <laughs> now my mother was in the kitchen downstairs. She heard my new word. And she ran upstairs very quickly and firmly, as I recall, uh, taught me that that word, in fact, did have power, just not the kind of power I thought it had. We're in a series from all summer long called, from the book of Proverbs called The Pursuit of Wisdom. I think this is part nine today. We've looked at how wisdom uh, impacts all these different areas of our lives, wisdom in family, wisdom in work, wisdom in temptation, wisdom in friendship, and last week, wisdom in self-control. And today, we talk about wisdom and words. Now, I didn't know this before I really took on this study this week, but did you know that Proverbs has more single verses about words, about our speech, than any other single topic other than wisdom itself? Now, we're going to look at a number of those verses today, but I want to start with just one, Proverbs 18.21, and it reads like this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is that words are powerful. Our words have power. I want to give you a little quiz. I call this the famous words in American history quiz. Um, I just, I'm going to read you a phrase, single phrase, sentence out of some famous speech in American history, and you tell me who said it, okay? Just, just blurt it out when you get it. First, I have a dream today. Oh, don't put it up till I say the guy's name or else you're going to give it away. <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., okay, what year did he say that? Speech in Washington, D.C., 1963 in August, almost 60 years ago exactly from where we are now. Second, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ronald President Ronald Reagan, what year? 81. Uh, 1987, Okay. Uh, with the tearing down the uh, Berlin Wall. Four score and seven years ago. Abraham Lincoln, uh, first line of the Gettysburg Address. What year? 1863. Okay. Uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. FDR. That was close. JFK, FDR, you know, letters. 
What year did he get to say those words? I was confused about this. I had to look it up. I thought it was 1941 at the beginning of World War II, but it wasn't. It was his first inaugural address in 1933. One more. Life is like a box of chocolates. Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump. 1994. Forrest Gump was made almost 30 years ago. Yikes, right? But we remember words because words have power. Words can motivate. Words can encourage. Words can inspire entire nations. But we all know, we all know too well, that words can also divide and incite and destroy. Even simple words today like left and right are politically and emotionally charged. Words like snowflake and privilege are emotionally and politically charged. Proverbs 18, 21, and I'll give you three translations here. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The New Living says the tongue can bring life, death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And then the message, which is a paraphrase, says words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. Proverbs is simply telling us that words have the power of life or death. Now, how so? What does the ancient writer mean? We can all remember the playground rhyme, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? So if someone calls you a dummy or a blockhead on the playground, <laughs> remember Lucy? That was her favorite insult for Charlie Brown. I don't think I ever heard anybody else ever call someone a blockhead except Lucy. But someone calls you a name on the playground, so you just sing back to them, sticks and stones, I break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We say that as children, but it doesn't take us long to realize it's not exactly true. Words can and do hurt. The saying really should be, sticks and stones can break my bones, which will fully heal, but wounds from words might never heal. And that's because words have power. We see this from the very beginning of the Bible. Opening lines of the Bible tell us that God created all that is by speaking words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, and God said, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. When Jesus came into the world as the very incarnation of the eternal God, the Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Pastor and theologian John Piper says, Words carry a measurable significance. The universe was created with a word. Jesus healed and cast out demons with a word. Rulers have risen and fallen by their words. Christians have worshipped through words of song, confession, and preaching. Even in our technological age, politics, education, business, and relationships center on words. That's why we read in the book of James, which we're going to study together this fall in our preaching series. <clears throat> when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Incredibly strong words. 
Words are powerful because they bring life and they can bring death. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Words are also powerful because they last. They last. A pastor named Alistair Begg tells a story about a woman, I think it was in Scotland, somewhere in the UK, who went to her pastor and confessed that she had, she had passed along and helped spread a false rumor about someone else in that church family. So the pastor told her to do something unusual. He said, I want you to go and buy uh, a, a bag of chicken feathers, and I want you to go and spread some of them at the door fr- door, uh, on the porch of every home of every person you spread that rumor about. The woman did it because her pastor told her to. Then she came back, and he said, now I want you to go back. I want you to collect all those chicken feathers, put them back into the bag, and bring them back here to me. The woman said, well, the wind's been blowing. I'm sure those chicken feathers are sc- scattered all over the place. How am I going to put them back in the bag? And he said, that's correct. Your words can be forgiven, but can never be taken back. This is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5 of Matthew, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, one of the Ten Commandments, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, that's an ancient uh, Aramaic word that was highly offensive, It was uh, an insult, like calling someone an idiot. It's answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is saying our words matter because they have power. They can bring life or they can bring death. And once a word is spoken, it can't be taken back. Proverbs then teaches us two categories of words that we're going to talk about now. Wise words and unwise words. So the second point today is unwise words are destructive. Unwise words are destructive. My brother, Joe, who's a pastor in Ohio, I talk about him a lot, tell stories about us. I finally want to show you a picture. You can decide whether we look alike or not. He's a pretty good looking guy, actually. But (laughs) you can't tell by looking at the picture, unless I made a really close up, that he's had, uh, he's received 75 stitches from his neck up, never more than five at a time. He's had all kinds of weird little injuries and wounds, small cuts, mostly from sports, but also bike accidents, all sorts of stuff. I tell him it's because he's lived his whole life face first. (laughs) Just aggressive, fearless, that kind of thing. He says if you shaved his head, it'd look like a baseball with all the stitches on it. But none of those injuries, none of those scars were as significant to him as words a high school basketball coach said to him in 10th grade. He was 15 years old. The coach said to him one day, you're a loser and will be forever and ever. Direct quote. Now, my brother went on to be a state champion basketball player, pastor of a large and thriving church, but we talked this week. I wanted to make sure I got that quote right, and he said he still remembers the sting of those words 50 years later. Here's the thing. People don't wind up in counseling or therapy because they... We're running after a church service in the sanctuary, tripped and fell, bumped their head in the altar, and got five stitches in their forehead, which my brother actually did one time. <laughs> then they go to counseling because they broke their nose three times playing basketball, which he actually did that too. People go to counseling because of words that were once spoken to them or at them. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Unwise words are reckless words. And reckless words are most often, I think, spoken out of anger or frustration. Years ago, I was at a 12-year-old baseball tournament with one of my sons, 
And in between his games, we, the two of us went to see two other teams play because we heard one of the teams was really, really good. And so we were watching the game, and um, sure enough, for the really good team, two boys, 12-year-old, back-to-back hit home runs. And all the, fa- all the fans are cheering, especially the dads, because there's nothing quite like watching your son hit a home run, right? Two home runs in a row. Then the next guy up, uh, kid, took a mighty swing, but just managed to pop a little, hit a little soft pop up to the second baseman, and he was out. And in that moment, a, guy, a man stood up, not far from where we were sitting, turned out to be the boy's father. And he yelled out in a loud voice, loud enough for everyone to hear, including his son. You swing like a... And he filled in the blank with a, with a profane and humiliating word that I could never say in a public setting. And everyone turned to look at the man. I turned to look at the boy who was walking back to the dog. And you could see his shoulders slump. He never turned around, but he heard. His greatest pain was not popping out at the second baseman that day. His greatest pain was to wait the sting of the words of his own father. And if you could find that boy today, I promise you, He's in his early 30s. He can remember the day and time and exactly what that moment felt like. Reckless words. Unwise words are reckless words. Ephesians 4 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. One of the ways we sin in anger is through reckless words. Reckless words also can be spoken about others, and Proverbs calls this gossip. Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Proverbs 16.28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. So what is gossip? The dictionary definition is a person who habitually reveals personal or sensational facts about others. I read one definition that says, the sin of gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Or my personal favorite is the art of confessing someone else's sins, real or imagined. Most of you know uh, my dad was a pastor for 60 years or more. And one summer I was home from college uh, and they were living in Florida and I needed to go visit him at his office for some reason, small church. I don't remember what we needed to talk about. But as I walked toward his office, I was walking down the hallway of the church, like about this size, and there was a door uh, partway open, or just barely open, that had a sign taped on it, prayer group. Oh, prayer group, that's nice. But as I walked by, I heard the voices, and I realized quickly they, they weren't praying. They were talking. And more than that, they were talking in very negative terms, hurtful terms, about someone I knew in the church. Now, I wish I'd had the courage to just walk in and say, excuse me, I thought this was a prayer group, but I didn't. <laughs> I also wanted to cross out on the sign, prayer group, and put gossip group so they would see it when they walked out. I, I didn't do any of that. But gossip, gossip is uh, a reckless form of speech and hurtful form of speech. Unwise words are also untrue words, Proverbs says, Proverbs 26. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. 17th century Irish writer Jonathan Swift, who wrote Gulliver's Travels, said one time, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. It's somewhat ironic that if you look this, this quote up, it often is said to come from Mark Twain. And that's actually an untruth that's spread around the world. It's kind of ironic. <laughs> we live in a world where rumor and false accusations travel at literally the speed of light through social media. Jonathan Swift could not have imagined social media today, but he still knew how falsehoods can spread. 
We live in a culture that's fascinated by scandal. By the click of a button, we can spread information. By the click of something on our computer, we can spread information. Whether we know it's true or not, it's just fun to spread. It's like a, tiny, it's like a tasty morsel, right, that's satisfying to spread it. And it can go to thousands uh, or even millions of people in the blink of an eye. And some of those bits of information will be false, will be untrue, will be lying words that can destroy. Destroy lives, destroy reputations. Finally, Proverbs says that unwise words are unkind words. Proverbs 15 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. The Hebrew word translated perverse there means crooked or vicious or cruel. Unwise words are critical words. Unwise words are sarcastic words. It makes me kind of smile that 3,000 years ago, when these words were written in a whole different culture, different language, People were still being, were being sarcastic to each other. People have always been people. Proverbs 26 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. That's like the person who, who hides their anger behind a hurtful word and then says, I'm, I was only kidding. Sarcasm. Unwise words not only have the power to wound, but they have the power, Proverbs says, to destroy, to bring a kind of death. So what does all this mean for us if we're followers of Jesus? Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What he's saying is our words, whether spoken or texted or tweeted, or posted, or shared, our words have the power to draw people closer to the love and grace of Christ, or the power to push them further away. Someone has said, our words are rarely neutral. Words are rarely neutral. And that leads us to the third point. Wise words are life-giving. Where unwise words are destructive, wise words are life-giving. Proverbs 16. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. Wise words are gracious words. Just this week, I got a private Facebook message from uh, a man who's now probably 50, 51 years old, but I knew him when he was in high school in 1990 or 91, when he came to our youth group. His family didn't come here, but he started coming to youth group when I was youth pastor. And he would come, he came a couple times on a summer bike trip we did for a week in Colorado. And there's a note I got from him, and I, 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 totally unexpected, after some 33 years. Here's what he wrote, in part. Hey, Brian, I was just sitting here thinking about life. The best week of my life was the week on the bike trip with you and First Baptist. My whole life changed that week. Not sure I've ever thanked you for the impact you had on my life. So thank you. I don't think we thank people enough for what they do. I just wanted you to know. Awesome job, my friend. To the end, he said. So I, I, I sent a message back and said, I, have, I don't think I can put into words what that meant to me to receive that 33 years later. Words he didn't need to say, but words that were such a blessing because they were just gracious. Just simple words. Wise words are also encouraging words. Proverbs 15 says, Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. The right thing at the right time. When our 
one of our sons, Micah, was playing baseball at the University of Minnesota. Um, they had a really good team his senior year, ended up being one of the top 10 teams in the nation. And that year, they had a highly touted freshman pitcher, highly recruited, highly touted, really gifted young man who was very impressive in preseason workouts. And they all, all the players couldn't wait to see this kid pitch in a real game because he was really gifted. So sure enough, like the third or fourth game of the season, the head coach put him in to pitch his first college game. I was watching online. I wasn't at the game, but I watched online. Here's how the first inning of this kid's first college game went. He pitched to six batters. First batter, hit by pitch. Second batter, hit by pitch. Third batter, walk. Fourth batter, hit by pitch. One run came in. The next batter, a wild pitch. Another run came in. Then a double. Two more runs came in. And then another hit by pitch. He pitched to six batters. He hit four of them with pitches. He walked one and one hit a double. Four runs, zero outs. Coach comes out to the mound and, uh, to take him out of the game, to replace him, and does replace him. And after the game, everything was over. I don't remember who won or lost the game. I think, I think they lost because they gave away four rounds before and out. Uh, but I asked my son, I call, we were talking on the phone, I said, hey, you got to tell me, what did the coach say when he got to the mound? I mean, what do you say? It was like the worst pitching performance I'd ever seen in baseball. And he said, Dad, coach came out, put his arm around him, we were all standing there at the mound, and the coach said, this doesn't change what we think about you one bit. He did replace him, but <laughs> the kid came back the next time and the next time and pitched much, much better. Wise words are encouraging words. So what are our takeaways? Wisdom and words. Let me just shrink it down to three things today. First, Proverbs is teaching us to speak with restraint. With restraint. Proverbs 17 says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. Isn't that interesting? Don't we usually think about the ones with knowledge are the ones who talk a lot? This is a very weird thing for pastors to say, but <laughs> people with knowledge are to speak with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. And then Proverbs 10:19 in the New Living, and I like this, says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Proverbs is simply saying that most often, fewer words is better than more words. Most often. Most often, listening is better than speaking. Secondly, speak with wisdom. Kind of goes without saying, but speak with wisdom. Proverbs 18 says, wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from the wise like a bubbling brook. Somebody saying to speak with wisdom is to think a bit before we speak. Ask yourself a question. Are my words, the words I'm preparing to say, the words that are going to come out of my mouth, are they kind? Are they encouraging? Are they true? Are they reckless and hurtful? Speak with wisdom. And thirdly, speak with grace. With grace, Ephesians 4 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The Apostle Paul is telling us that our words can be carriers of grace or they can be carriers of corruption. They can be that which builds up or that which tears down. And just like self-control last week, our words begin not in our mouths, but in our hearts. Proverbs 16, 23 says, The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Jesus 
says something very similar in Luke chapter 6 when he said, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So why do we sometimes speak reckless words? Why do we sometimes pass on that little bit of gossipy information because it's kind of fun? Why do we sometimes speak hurtful, critical, or sarcastic words? Jesus says, because that's what sometimes we carry in our heart, and it comes out. One pastor says, all of our heart problems eventually become word problems. So what if, what if you or what if we have spoken words that are unwise, words that are spoken in anger? What if we have spoken words that, that we fear have left a mark? or a scar, or a wound. Jesus actually said in Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every, not just deed, but every careless word they speak. So what do we do if that's the case? Well, we repent. We confess. We seek the great gift of forgiveness. We pray, like King David did in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a pure heart. And renew a right spirit within me. That's the first step. Then the second step is we do what we can to replace unwise words with wise words. We replace destructive words with life-giving words. And that means to make the phone call or to write the note, which I've had to do on a number of occasions, or to... Have the conversation to say the words that you wish you had said but failed to. You still have a chance to say the words. Or what if you carry wounds today from words that were spoken at you or toward you or about you by someone you loved or respected? And you carry those wounds even today into this room. Well, we have the great gift that we can lay these words in confession before the Lord. Now, confession is not just about sin. It's about pain, too. We can lay those words before the Lord and then listen to the words he speaks over us through the prophet Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. If you've heard words spoken to you that cause you to question what God might think about you, this is what he thinks about you. This is how he feels towards you. He rejoices over you with singing. A writer named Marianne Bird has written a story from her childhood. I want to read it to you. She writes, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. But my second grade teacher was a lady named Mrs. Leonard. We all loved her. She was short, round, and happy, a sparkling lady. And every year she gave us a hearing test that was required by the school. We would stand at the door, cover one ear, and Mrs. Leonard would whisper something from her desk, and we would have to repeat it back to indicate we could hear. And usually she would say things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? But one day when it was my turn, 
And I waited for what turned out to be words that God must have put into her mouth, seven words that changed my life. When it was my turn, Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today, for the great wisdom you share with us through your word. We all use words every day. Some thought out, some not so much. Some wise, some not so wise, and maybe many in between. But teach us that our words do matter. Teach us that our words can draw others toward your love or push them away. So tune our hearts to you. Turn our hearts toward you so that our words may better reflect your great love for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now the benediction. May we go now in the name of Jesus, who is the eternal word of God, and may he work in us and through us what is pleasing to him. Amen. Have a great day. Lift up my voice.